0: The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Look around. You can find cars like these on Autotrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait, Auto Trader. Welcome everyone. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. I am Scott Pianowski, your Periodic Tuesday host, and I got one of my old friends in the industry, just one of the titans, one of the pillars of the fantasy space, Chris List, You know, managing editor at RotoWire. Sirius XM host, host of A Real Man Wood, which is a podcast with our friend Dalton Del Don, and an international man of mystery. How's it going there, Chris?
1: Uh, it's going well, Scott. Uh, how are you doing? Thanks for the nice intro. Ah, you're welcome.
0: Uh, doing great. Doing great. Um, you know, they, they pay me to talk to my friends about football, stuff I would be doing anyway. So it's it's a pretty good gig. And I wasn't sure we, we would have had plenty of things to talk about, but you know we need to reel you in and keep you on topic. I can't have you you know ranting about about you know various things in the world. So I said to the NFL, "Look, give us some big news. Give us give us something juicy." And what do we got? We got Julio Jones finally traded into his age thirty two season. He's now a Tennessee Titan. So let's try to break this down. We'll start from the the Tennessee side of it, and uh, you can go anywhere you want. You want to start with Julio? I mean, played half a season last year. Uh, he's A a big attrition player. He's never really been a a touchdown scorer, can measure it to his ability. I feel like he's kind of like Andre Johnson 2.0, a very, very good player. And I think Julio's a walk-in Hall of Famer. I'm not sure if Andre Johnson will make the Hall of Fame or not. But uh, coming off a down year into his age 32 season, I thought the Titans got him fairly affordably. But let's do some fantasy breakdowns. We'll start with the Tennessee side. And I I guess my first question is, what do you think of Julio Jones? Uh, I didn't really move
1: him at all. Because I think the situation is exactly the same, right? In one situation, he had Calvin Ridley and now Kyle Pitts. And in the other, he has A.J. Brown and whatever other collection of scrubs they have. But they're going to run it a lot because Derrick Henry is going to get a lot of carries and it's probably still going to be a run first office, even though they have a new, you know, offensive coordinator. So I just kind of left Julio where he was. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think he, um, he's 32 or 33. Uh, and he's a big receiver and those guys don't age as well sometimes because it's more wear and tear to be that big. You take more hits. It's a little bit uh, harder when you hit the ground, but the the thing that, that separates him from Andre Johnson at this age, when he kind of fell apart on the Colts is that on a per play basis last year, Julio was still Julio. He was excellent. And so the injury obviously is an issue and he could get hurt again, but you didn't see like a drop off in his effectiveness. And I think like, you know, Obviously, he's going to drop off at some point, but there wasn't like, oh, he's already getting a lot worse, uh, and you know, he's this is probably the end. If he stays healthy, I I think he'll still be really good. Now, let's let's
0: talk about how uh, the the collateral effect of some of these guys does it uh, change your opinion of Ryan Tannehill, who's been an under, I think he was quarterback ten last year. He's sneaky athletic. Remember, he was a wide receiver for a while at Texas A and M, and. People were wondering, well, who's going to throw the ball to other than A.J. Brown? I mean, they, they lost their tight end. They lost their second receiver. But now they add a walk-in Hall of Famer. Could Tannehill maybe upgrade from, you know, yeah, he's a nice backup. Yeah, he's a super flex quarterback, whatever. Could he actually be a front-door quarterback one this year?
1: Yes. I didn't do that much. I, I had him at 17 and Matt Ryan at 14. I just flopped him after the trade. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had Greg Ambrosius on, uh, on Monday on the XM show, and he said – Uh, I said, yeah, I got Tannehill in 14. He's like, oh, you're not going to get him. He's going top 10. Uh, And I, you know, that's fine if I don't get him. I don't, it's not like I need to get Ryan Tannehill. Oh no, what am I going to do? But I guess, and you know, he runs for touchdowns. As you said, he's mobile, but I I see 500 attempts, 510 attempts tops um, for him. And so, you know, Julio's going to, it's better, right? It's good. He's good. It's going to make him better. And I did move him up, but I don't think like, this is a game changer. I think it's just, um, it hurts AJ Brown a little bit. It helps Tannehill a little bit. It's neutral for Julio pretty much. Um, and it's good for the Titans. Uh, I don't really change Derek Henry, although you know, he'll, I guess they'll move the ball presumably a little bit better. I, I didn't think it was really a seismic trade for fantasy, actually. I, it hurt A.J. Brown the most, is what I'll say, because I thought A.J. Brown was finally going to get 150, 140 to 150 targets, and at his sort of efficiency rate, that was going to blow him up.
0: I, I don't really know how to handle the ancillary parts of this offense, because on one hand, Anytime you make an offense better, the idea is, OK, you're, we're going to score more points. We're going to get more yards. We're going to control the ball more. So if you're a good player, I think adding other good players is a bonus. But if you're Josh Reynolds, if you're Anthony Ferkser, these are guys who opportunity was in line for them. I don't, I don't think Josh Reynolds is really all that great at football. Ferkser is kind of an ordinary tight end. But I thought there was a path for them to have value. I was scooping them up as, as late round options in best ball. I know it's a, ch- a cheap hack, right? But I wasn't, you know, whatever. I, I was open-minded to them just because they're there and there's nobody really in front of them. But now Julio, I feel like shoves Reynolds off the field half the time. And, and now Ferkshire just becomes one of those, you know, 511 yard, four touchdown tight ends. I feel like those are the guys maybe in Tennessee who take the hit with Julio coming into town.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's going to be a very narrow tree. In fact, maybe the narrowest in all of football, there's going to be three guys besides the quarterback that ever touched the ball and those three guys are all going to be, you know, automatic every week as long as they're healthy starters. And nobody else will you use. Um, and that's it, <laughs> I think. And, and that's why I didn't move Tannehill that much because I think Ferksher is going to do what you just said. I think Reynolds is going to do 450 yards or whoever it is, whether it's Reynolds or, you know, uh, Des Fitzpatrick, whoever it is. Um, and that's it. I mean, I don't think there's going to be a lot of depth there. I think it's just the starters if, if, if guys stay healthy.
0: I'm curious. We don't have to spend a long time on this, but I thought the trade was pretty cheap—a second this year, a fourth next year. There's a sixth-round pick involved. I think Atlanta, and we'll talk about the Falcons in a second. I think they just wanted to get out of the financial obligation and maybe be a year early on Julio. Did, did the price surprise you at all? Do you we expecting other teams to be involved? Uh, just how did you feel about that? Just from a general NFL standpoint.
1: Well, I don't really know everybody's cap situation. I'm not that guy right. who knows. Me so, neither. So I don't. You know, I'm like okay. There was a cost, you know, cap wise to acquiring him. You need to have room to acquire him. And that might have eliminated a lot of teams that, you know, just as a casual fan, we think, oh, you know, why aren't they trading for him? It makes, you know, why aren't the Packers trading for him? So and then aren't they paying a substantial portion of his salary, like half of it or something? So that probably Mm -hmm. um, made them have to give back less in compensation. So I, I don't know. It seems like given the situation, it was, you know, about what they could expect.
0: So let's transition to what's going on with the Falcons in a post Julio Jones world. This, this may be the more interesting part of it, because now if you liked Calvin Ridley, I would think you have to really like Calvin Ridley. I, it makes me nervous about Matt Ryan. They have Kyle Pitts, who's supposed to be the, the tight end who breaks all the rules. Uh, Chris, what's your take on the fantasy value of the major Falcons right now?
1: So, yeah, as I said, I swapped, you know, Tannehill and, and Matt Ryan. It's not a big deal, you know. Uh, Ryan, I think, is still going to throw 540 times if the line protects him. Pitts, I actually should move him up. I, I think I have him to six or something like that, five or six, but I'll move him to four. And then the NFC is going right behind the big three, you know, Kittle, Kelsey, and, and Waller. And I think that's, I don't know. I mean, Andrews and, and Hawkinson are pretty good too, but, you know, he's somewhere in there. Uh, and then Ridley is top three now, right? I mean, Ridley... Uh, if you look at his numbers, when Julio was out last year, they were huge. Um, he, he runs deep routes. His average depth. The target was among the longest, the biggest in the league. He had the most air yards in the league, meaning, you know, it's not just targets that he gets. He gets valuable targets. He doesn't have the uh, Julio end zone allergy. Apparently. I don't know if that's just a random long standing fluke or I don't know what it is, but they throw down the field to him. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, this is a team that isn't probably going to be very good. They're going to maybe be in some shootouts and, uh, I think Ridley, you know, I, he's going to get 155, 160 targets. I mean, what, you know, deep targets, you know, his with good depth of target. I mean, I, I don't really see, unless he were like a terrible player, and he's not by any means, um, you know, I don't see how you can not have him in the top five right now.
0: I feel like what this ensures is that if you want Ridley, if you want Pitts, you'll have to draft them proactively. Is that something you're prepared to do?
1: Um, I mean, I have him in three, right? And I had A.J. Brown at three, and I moved him to like seven or eight. So, yeah, I mean, I would take him. I haven't had a digs. I haven't had a Devontae Adams for now, which um, is just the Rogers risk. I would move Adams ahead of him
0: and make that's your brand. Your brand is not trusting Devontae. We'll get to that a little bit later.
1: Well, I would no. I've trusted him in fantasy because when I went on that rant, I actually was the guy drafting him in the first round. So I've never had a problem with him in fantasy. Uh, so, but, you know, as of now, yes, I would take Ridley in the second. It depends what running backs are there also, obviously. And Pitts, I really don't know. I mean, I'm the, I'm the sucker. I'm the guy who will get the rookie that's, oh, this is a generational rookie. It's not just a rookie, Scott. This is generational. So I got to go, you know, take this guy in the fifth round or the fourth round or wherever he's going. Maybe, maybe not. I probably won't take a rookie tight end in the fourth round. If it was late fifth and I didn't like my options, uh, I might just because I'm a sucker for this kind of thing. But I'm not going to push him. I think in the NFPC I, I saw him go in the fourth.
0: You see, is there... Maybe a, a later round guy who, who could pop in Atlanta, maybe Gage, Zacchaeus, Cordero Patterson is apparently with the Falcons. Do you like anybody as a late round sleeper there?
1: I think it could be any of those guys. I guess Gage is the next in line from his experience, but Zacchaeus had a couple good games. I think I remember kicking the tires on the waiver wire once or twice, then he kind of disappeared. But it could be any of those guys. You know, I, I, in a PPR, full PPR, three receivers, I think there's like a 50% chance that like one of those Falcons is you know, a regular in somebody's lineup.
0: I don't think this changed much because of this trade, but just since we're talking on the Falcons, just to put a a bow on them, I I think Mike Davis is going to get a ton of touches. And I think he's a good football player. I was impressed with, he wasn't Christian McCaffrey, but he was what, 80% of McCaffrey, 85% of McCaffrey, 75 whatever it was, he was a valuable football player last year. And I think... Because I don't trust the the depth behind him, I think he's going to be a really valuable player. I, the Falcons kind of look like, to me, I always think they're going to be a seven and nine team. I guess with the tenth game, I have to decide if they're a seven and ten or an eight and nine team. I don't think they're going to be very good real life, but for fantasy, I think they'll be good. I, just any feeling on Mike Davis? Are you uh, in, out, green light, red light, yellow light?
1: I I'm sort of agnostic on him. Uh, he was good when he's. I actually picked him up in the. uh in Brad Evans' league, and I lost Barkley, so I was like, I needed him. And mm-hmm. he was great for me for like five weeks. It was like I had Barkley in there, basically. But then he really kind of faded the second half of the season. True. And sometimes, you know, those guys, the Kevin Barlows or whatever, I don't know why I thought maybe because we put him on our magazine in like 2005. There's that guy that's like a backup, comes in, looks really good for a while, and then it starts to show that, okay, this is now game six, and he doesn't look as crisp and fresh as he was. And all of a sudden, like, he just looks like just a guy. And so uh, I'm, I, I probably, if, if people like him, because the opportunity is obviously there, I probably won't be getting him.
0: Let's uh, transition to some strategy talk. And I, I know you did a recent podcast about injury optimism. You know, that's long been one of my strategies to try to fade that unless you get a really good discount. Another rule of thumb that I've been, and look, everything is, is a, you have to take everything case by case. There's no the, my first rule about fantasy is they don't have any fundamental unbreakable rules. I mean you, you have to be flexible about stuff. If we were talking last year, Chris. I would have said, well, receivers who change teams, you got to be careful with that. Stephon Diggs, I, I'd be careful. Uh, you know, Jandre Hopkins, I'd be careful. Robbie Anderson, I'd be careful. And, you know, Diggs was fantastic. Hopkins was very good. Anderson was a value where he was drafted. Jones is changing teams now. Uh, some also people would also say, you know, once those big receivers get into their 30s, maybe you want to be nervous about them. I'm curious. I'm going to run down some of these receivers who change teams, and I want to get your feelings on them and just also the, the theme in general about how you feel when a receiver changed teams. You're a longstanding suffering Giants fan. I guess you haven't suffered when they put the Patriots in the Super Bowl. But that's been a while. Uh, they paid the big money to get Kenny Galladay. How do you feel about Galladay switching to the Giants?
1: Not that great. I mean, I like the move. Gallaudet is a big play guy. Um, his per play averages are great. Um, they didn't really... They have Darius Slayton. Galladay's probably a better version of that, but Slayton's a young, cheap receiver. So I'm not sure that was... And then they drafted a receiver in the first round, so I'm not sure what they're doing. But I'm fine with Galladay. I'm not that bullish on him. I think I'm like 30th among receivers, something like that. Uh, I just think there's a lot of mouths defeat and a not very good offense yet. I think there's upside to the offense, but there's definitely a low floor. And you're, you know, it just doesn't seem like a great fit. So I'm probably not going to have a lot of Galladay shares.
0: Yeah. You know, he's an easy guy for me to rank in the sense that I just feel the market likes him a little bit more than I do. And once you get to that point, you realize you're not going to take him because somebody's going to want him before you do. I'm going to be around a round and a half later on Galladay, And that just means I'm, I'm probably not going to get him. Now, the Jets made the move for Corey Davis, who's who's had an interesting career, right? He was a very high draft pick and did almost nothing in his first few Tennessee seasons. He started to be a good player with the Titans. I don't think he ever became a star. They have a rookie quarterback. They have a new coaching staff. This is the type of player-changing teams where I just want to wash my hands of it. I'm just nervous that I'm not sure how good Corey Davis is anyway, and now he steps into a situation filled with uncertainty so I think Corey Davis, unless the price is a giveaway, and I'm not really sure off the top of my head what his ADP looks like right now, but I don't think Corey Davis is going to be a big part of my portfolio. What say you?
1: Uh, I think the Jets. You know, you really can't you can't go wrong avoiding Jets. I don't. I can't remember the last time it burned you if you avoided some Jets. Maybe Brandon Marshall that year that he blew up like six years ago. Maybe you know, maybe Zach Wilson will be good. It's really hard to know with these QBs, but yeah, if the price were right. I don't. I don't know what his price is either it's certainly not a guy I'm looking to draft. It's just somebody that, you know, if I need a receiver and I was like, well, he might really be the number one there. So, but you're right. He doesn't even have the track record where let's just say the jets are decent. Let's say we know the jets win seven games and their offense is league average, which is both of which are a leap. I think both of those things would be, you know, 65th percentile. Are you sure Corey Davis gets 80 and a thousand? No, you're not sure about that. Right. Whereas like if, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think, you know, if, there's certain teams where like if the team did decently offensively, you could be like, okay, this guy probably did something. And um, so I'm um, yeah. 10th, 11th round. I don't know. It, it would have to be cheap.
0: Well, maybe this would, this will transition to the next guy. Curtis Samuel goes to Washington. And I gotta admit, I have a sweet tooth for the football team. One. I love the fact that they're the football team. I love that this WFT. You know, this is a team that had a, you know, obviously a insensitive nickname for a long time. They got rid of it. They don't have a team name anymore. Ryan Fitzpatrick is, you know, DGAF, Just throw the ball downfield. He's smart, but he's he's a gunslinger. I'm a I'm a huge. We've talked about this on your on your XM show. I'm a huge McLaurin guy. I'm a huge Gibson guy. I think you actually ranked him a little bit too low on on the RotoWire page, and we'll get to that a little bit later. Samuel is changing teams, but he has a history with the offensive coordinator. Uh, North Turner's son Scott is the, is the coordinator there, so. I'm thinking maybe Carolina never really unlocked Samuel. Not that I think Samuel's going to go bonkers because McLaurin's the number one here. He's the alpha, but I'm optimistic that Samuel could be a nice player. He's somebody again. It's not I'm elbowing I'm not elbowing people out of the way for Curtis Samuel, but I'm certainly amenable to Curtis Samuel. What do you think?
1: I agree. Uh, he ran a four three one at the combine. He had like off the charts athletic metrics, and this guy is like a freak athlete. Even though he's not he's not that big, but he's not tiny either. I think he's like 200 pounds. 195, 200 pounds. And he is a freak athlete. And they have McLaurin, who's the clear number one, who's also a freak athlete. By the way, McLaurin ran a 4.35 at six feet 208. You know, these speedy guys are usually, you know, look like Tyreek Hill or Deshaun Jackson. They're not six feet close to 210 pounds. And you have McLaurin there, who's such a skilled receiver, but Curtis Samuel is like a threat in his own right and can get down the field. And as you said, Fitzpatrick will sling it. I think McLaurin's going to get a lot of coverage. Um, they have like Logan Thomas and uh cam sims and a couple guys who were serviceable but uh i like samuel i think he's going to be the number two clearly and they paid him and should should get the role
0: yeah i'm looking forward to watching that team i'm i, I got to look back on the scouting reports and figure out how mclaurin ever went 76th overall i i know that ohio state and he, he and samuel both went to ohio state i know they didn't always throw the ball that much but it's just hard to believe that think they, about they who made, his quarterback be- was you know yeah, there you go. I'm, oh, I'm just glad that the Patriots got Nikhil Harry in that draft. I, I have to bitch about Nikhil Harry in every one of on my podcasts, so we can check that box here. Transition to my Patriots, okay? They didn't have much of an offense last year, but they're going to fix it because they have Nelson Aguilar. And this is a fun player for me in the sense that I feel like every week or two on Twitter, somebody puts together a highlight tape that shows Nelson Aguilar is really good. And somebody puts together a highlight tape that shows Nelson Aguilar shouldn't even be in the NFL. Now, I think that partially reflects that if you want to cherry pick highlights, you can make almost anybody look good or look bad. You, you know, you could pick out Tom Brady, horrible interceptions he's thrown. I mean, everybody makes bad plays sometimes, but it seemed like a, w- a weird overpay. The Patriots were very aggressive early in free agency. I don't know who they were outbidding. I'm not sure Aguilar and Cam Newton would be a good match, but you would think eventually they're going to switch to their rookie quarterback, and we're, we're going to see the you know, the Mac. The Mac um why can't I think of Mac? Mac Davis? Mac Jones? Mac Jones. Yeah, Mac Davis was a singer. Uh Mac uh, Mac Davis was also the quarterback in um North Dallas 40, which is probably why I'm conflating it. But anyway, eventually you think Jones will be getting the snaps. Uh do you have any optimism about Aguilar as a fantasy prospect this year?
1: Uh I mean marginal. You know, he's he's gonna get, if he's healthy, sixty-eight to seventy-five catches probably. Um and You know, Newton's okay. He he was he was a little banged up at times. He had COVID, but he played okay against Seattle in a couple bad defenses. Um, he's another year removed from all the medical stuff that he had to deal with. Uh Mac Jones might be okay. I don't know what they were doing. Kendrick Bourne. Like, what was that? You know, like it's just weird. Belichick's weird, man. He does weird stuff. I mean, you can't deny the success. I mean, you, you have to say he knows something, he's doing something right. Uh, and you know, he knows more football than any he's forgotten more football than any of us know, but what the hell is he doing? Mohamed Sanu for a second? <laughs> like, like why, why did he do that? And now Aguilar, is okay. is a first round pick, don't forget. Right, and, USC. And, you know, the Raiders, I mean, for some reason, they were like, okay, we have this guy, Henry Ruggs, you know, the 12th overall pick, but we're just now, this is our number one guy, Nelson Aguilar. And he made plays last year. He was actually good last year. And, you know, maybe, you know, Belichick watches football. He sees the game. He's like, this guy's really good. We're going to get him. Um, but. You know, it's just such a weird, like, what are they even doing there? Like, the offense is like a joke. You know, I don't I don't really know.
0: Well, the thing that I do find fascinating is they brought in two tight ends, right? They brought in Hunter Henry, and they brought in Johnny Smith. And I think this is a, a great time to be in. And look, they famously had a two tight end offense with Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. And, you know, obviously Hernandez's life went off the rails. We don't want to get into that. But that was a really effective thing. Not, not that anybody thinks that Hunter Henry and and Johnny Smith approach the talent level. Of those other two guys.
1: I don't think either one is going to end up killing anybody, Scott. I don't
0: really. <laughs> That's that. true. Or, or being in the in the Hall of Fame like Gronkowski is obviously the moment he he finally they're, retires they're close, for good. They're closer
1: to the middle of the curve than the other than the former Patriots tight ends. For
0: sure, for sure. Anyway, I think the Patriots. I actually thought Belichick did a pretty good job with the team last year, considering half the defense opted out. Right, and, and they. Could have do or die play against Seattle at the end of that game. They gave Kansas city with a backup quarterback. They gave Kansas city all they could handle for about two and a half or three quarters before it fell apart. Let's talk about one more receiver changing teams. Then we'll talk more generally about the, about the subject. Will Fuller is one of these guys. I got him wrong last year. Um, I, I probably dinged him too much for his injury track record and didn't give him enough credit for the fact that he's explosive downfield guy. to Sean Watson. When everything is ship shape in his life is a dynamic player. Now Fuller goes to Miami. I have no idea if two is any good. I don't think Miami knows if two is any good, but we're going to find out because they have all sorts of talent at that receiver position. How are you feeling about Will Fuller this year? Not great. Uh, I I
1: feel like, you know, you you thought he might get hurt. That was understandable. You didn't know he was roiding uh, and staying a lot healthier than he otherwise would have been. Uh, It seems like baseball is missing that right now. And so, you know, I just think he's he's like the Byron Buxton of of football. I mean, he's like the one of the most injury prone guys in the entire league. And when he's healthy, for the you know the rare occasion that he is, he's good. And he's going to be playing as you mentioned with a much worse quarterback. Even if is good, he's going to be much worse than Watson. And there's so much competition there. They took Jalen Waddle with what the fifth or sixth pick, uh, and you know, and Devontae Parker's still there, and Preston Williams is still there. So I don't know, man. I I I'm pretty much out on Fuller.
0: I can see it. Uh, plus, I think he's starting this season on suspension, right? He's, yeah, so he, you're, gonna, you're not going to get every game there. So generally, what's the takeaway on receivers changing teams? Just go case by case. Were you ever just kind of out on receivers? It, I'll mention the theory Mike Salfino had on this, my, my podcast partner on uh, the Breakfast Table podcast. He thinks the problem with receivers changing teams is when they're asked to fill a better role on the new team, when they're basically promoted to something that might be over their head, that when – it's an apples for apples role change. It's really not that big of a deal. It's when you're asking him to be better than he was at the previous stop. Just how do you feel about receivers changing in general?
1: I don't know. That might be right. He might be right about that, Mike. Uh, but I don't know if that's the reason. It could also just be that, um, you know, that the, the team isn't very good that he's going to, or it's not very organized. I remember Randy Moss leaving Oakland and going to the Patriots. Sure. Um, that's probably the, most, you know, the most successful it worked
0: out that worked out pretty well for New England as I remember it. Decent, yeah.
1: it was a decent, uh, new stop. And then, you know, Diggs last year, as you mentioned, was just off the charts. He had the six most catches of all time in Buffalo, which was supposed to be a passing game of wasteland. I was, you know, that guy I had him like 30th on my list last year. I didn't really, I was like, there's no upside here with Diggs in Buffalo, and there was incredible upside. So, uh, I do think it's mostly based on the receiver. Uh, It could be because these elite receivers can, as Mike said, fill that role. No problem. I'm not especially worried about Jones. I'm just worried about Jones, the player, staying healthy. I'm not even worried about his skills, just health. Um, And then, you know, some of these other guys like Fuller, it's, it's not that he's changing teams. It's what team he's going to, I would say.
0: This is anecdotal. We're going to drive down narrative street. But sometimes I wonder about culture changes or just a player being in a better headspace. Diggs was miserable in Minnesota. Moss you know, was just mailing it in, playing for a Raiders team. The Patriots have been actually be. it doesn't always work out, but they've had a lot of success finding teams and losing cultures saying, okay, Corey Dillon, you're sick of losing with Cincinnati. You've got kind of a reputation as being maybe a, a prickly teammate. He comes in New England, model citizen, you know, perfectly willing to block, doesn't have to be the star of the team. They, they, they hit goal with him. They obviously hit goal with getting Moss at the right time, Rodney Harrison at the right time. Sometimes, you know, maybe just somebody was going to win with Diggs, just getting him out of Minnesota because he was so unhappy there. What I got wrong with with Diggs is I didn't think Josh Allen had the improvement in him that actually happened as a passer. I knew Josh Allen was a great athlete, but I didn't think he could become a dominant passer. Or just, you know, he could do it with his arm the way he did last year. But you know, maybe this is just something to be said for just rescuing somebody from a place where they don't. You know, Hopkins was miserable in Houston, although he was kind of a lateral move for him production wise. It's not like he got any better. But I was worried about, oh, I don't really trust Cliff Kingsbury. I don't know how great Kyler Murray is throwing down the field. And also last year, and this is why I really got these guys wrong, with the whole COVID situation and no no preseason games and, and everybody's routine was screwed up. I was afraid that there just wouldn't be enough time for the reps, for these guys to get comfortable. Receiving is, 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 passing is such a timing game. It's such a reps game. It's such a familiarity game. And I was just afraid they'd try to nuke all this stuff really quickly and it just wouldn't come together. And I, I, I realized right away how wrong I was on digs. So I don't know, uh, just trying to put a bow on this. I, I It was the theory I used to have to avoid the receivers changing teams. And, and I just feel like it's, it's something that's been ripped up and thrown into the shredder.
1: Yeah, I've had many theories ripped up and thrown in the sh- shredder. I used to only like big and fast receivers. You know, Right. I thought these slow guys like Hopkins and Adams and Keenan Allen and Michael Thomas were you know there was no upside to those guys. I mean, PPR has changed things a little bit too. But you know, it's it's a it's a route running league now. Suddenly, it's not just a physical. I mean, obviously there's DK Metcalf and AJ Brown are still thriving too, but you know, all these technicians are, it's sort of like the rise of the technician in the last five years where it used to be, you know, Calvin, Andre Johnson, these total monsters physically Brandon Marshall. Um, And it's, it's changed a bit. Um, But if you ever played like pickup basketball, with somebody who's really good, sure. I mean, I haven't played pickup basketball in 15 years, but when I did, there's a guy that if you cut to the basket, that ball was coming to you. Like you, you didn't have to, it was there before you could barely turn your head and you're like, oh, this is easy. Basketball is easy. Cause if I, you know, get myself in a good position, like the ball's there. And I feel like when it's DeAndre Hopkins or Diggs, but we realize how good he is now, it's like, they just make it easy on the quarterback. And the quarterback's just like, I want to throw it to this guy because he's going to catch anything in his vicinity. He's going to get open. He's going to beat the defender off the line. And, you know, and so those guys, it's like Hopkins, as you said, no, you know, no real off season, you know, it's Kingsbury, who's you know maybe an upgrade for Bill O'Brien, but I don't know you know how much. And then a raw quarterback that's not a polished passer, and he gets he walks in and gets 115 catches, you know, first year. I mean, that's that's just because he's you know a Hall of Fame level receiver. And there's just a few guys, and that's why I think Julio, you know, I wouldn't worry about him at all except for health.
0: Yeah, just when you get to the elite talent, it doesn't matter. I, I remember when Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux were on the same Canada Cup roster, and it's like you know well. How will that mesh together? And it's like you know, it, they were peanut butter and jelly. They were they were Fraser to Monroe right away, because um, which I guess now is more of a Rounders reference than an NBA reference. But anyway, let's talk about some rules of thumbs. As I mentioned earlier, you, you've heard me posit on your show on your really great XM show with, with Jeff Erickson. It's um, I'm, I'm on with you guys on Thursdays, but you should listen to it every day that you guys have the show at the middle of the day Monday through Thursday. That I have a cheese theory for fantasy. That once the cheese goes bad. A.J. Green's been a great example of this. So once, once the Chiefs went bad on A.J. Green, stop betting on it going good. Now, yeah, if you're in a room where everybody hates A.J. Green, you get him at, at a total throwaway price, I, I guess I can be okay with that. But football, the window of relevance for players, and they're, it's just so short, and I feel like so many players are at the closer to the end of their career when we than we ever realize. I mean, David Johnson was on magazine covers not that long ago. Todd Gurley was the number one pick, consensus not that long ago. These guys are like just forgotten. LeVeon Bell. LVM Bell, sure, right? I feel like and grand, part of that is the running back position, and I guess some things incumbent on them, but you, you, some of these receivers don't age well either. I don't know if you're interested in A.J. Green on, on the Cardinals. I'm, I'm probably not, but what do you think about my cheese theory that once that cheese goes bad or it seems like it's gone bad, don't bet on it going good. Good idea, bad idea, case by case? I mean, everything's case by
1: case, but I think it's a good rule of thumb, and I actually used A.J. Green as my example of cowardly busts because people be like, okay, who's your bust list? And they're like, A.J. Green, I don't like him go to a new team. And you're like, nobody likes him go to a new team. And they don't want to make a bust that's a a dangerous one that could blow up, right? Like,
0: Oh, so cowardly. Like when people do upgrades, downgrades, and like the downgrades are all the hurt guys. It's like, oh, thank you. Thank you for letting me know a player out for two months is a a downgrade.
1: I'm just not so sure A.J. Green's going to pick up where he was three years ago before he got hurt every single year in a new team when he's like the fourth receiver, yeah. Um, But yeah, I think with Green... The ship has sailed in that case. I think it usually does sail with those running backs. I bought back into Lev Bell in the league last year and it was a total waste or maybe two years ago, whatever it was, was total waste of my my money. But but I think, you know, like I was out on Aaron Rodgers for that reason last year. Totally out. Mm -hmm. I was like, Aaron Rodgers has no upside. I, I mean, I said this. I was like, he was going like 10th in the NFBC, NFFC. And those are smart drafters. That's a good market. And I just said, why is he going 10th when I can take Daniel Jones? Daniel Jones runs. He's young. He could get better. And remember, he had a decent rookie year. He's, he's, the shine is, whatever little shine was on his star is, is rubbed off this past year. But, you know, and obviously that's idiotic. Uh, Aaron Rodgers threw 48 touchdowns and ran for three touchdowns. He had one of the greatest quarterback seasons of all time, one MVP. How did that happen right? I think quarterbacks are one where it's dangerous to do that, but I think with running backs let, let's 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 find a running back to to that not an obvious one like Bell or Gurley, but find one like Joe Mixon got hurt would you would you sort of say uh ah, he had his chance and now he's been kind of banged up he's never really blown up
0: Mixon's a tough call for me. I don't know what to make of that offense I think a lot of people are bullish on it because of all the playmakers, but much like i've asked everybody and i and i'm alluded to it earlier i don't know what to do with tua in part because he played with the ultimate set of tools at alabama well look at what joe burrow had at lsu right i mean justin jefferson just blew up the league and the idea the accepted wisdom is that chase is actually the the better prospect than jefferson who just you basically toyed with the league like like he was in a father son game and they have other receivers on that team who are going to be NFL players. I I don't know if Joe Burrow's good. He's, he's older than Sam Darnold. I guess he's always going to be older than Sam Darnold. How do you feel about the Bengals' offense in general? I, I Do you think Burrow is, um, is somebody you want? Do you think Chase will be good right away? Are you willing to take Mixon in the second round? Uh, break down the Bengals for me.
1: So, you know, Jeff Erickson, uh, actually, he's a self hating Bengals fan, so he won't be offended by anything I say. Not that I worry about that. But. I I think Burrow was credible last year when he was healthy. I think, I think he passed the eye test and was, you know, at least as credible as say Kyler Murray the year before. Um, So I think, I think Burrow is, you know, it's not, I don't, it didn't look like he was just a product of his receivers. Remember he was forcing the ball to AJ Green's carcass for half the season, very inefficiently. And then finally T Higgins kind of emerged. Um, So I'm, I'm not, in on Burrow, but I'm not out on him. If he if he's the QB I get when I'm going a couple cheap QBs, I'm fine with that. Uh, I worry a little bit about the offensive line. Uh, but you gotta like Higgins and Chase. I mean, that's pretty good. Boyd's a decent possession guy. Yeah, I, I'm not like all in. Mixon, I don't think I want in the second round. I think I'll take the receiver there. I might even take McLaurin and push him up over Mixon, you know, even though he's more of a third rounder, early third rounder. I I don't want Mixon there. I'd rather take a receiver.
0: Fair enough. Uh, we talked, I, I very briefly alluded to the whole injury and in optimism thing with, with me. And when I say injury optimism, I mean like with guys who already have injury problems. I, I don't mean that, oh, this guy's been hurt in the past because the NFL, everybody's been hurt in the past you just know there's nobody. You can look at every running back in the first round and have some injury concern about them. I don't know how you can take the safe running back in the first round because I don't know who it is. I don't think there's any way we can identify that. But but what's going to happen is somebody's going to get hurt in June or July and they're going to say, oh, yeah, we're going to rest him for a month. He'll probably play opening day. And if the market doesn't adjust to that, I just basically take those guys off my board. That's that's to me, you don't want to be or in season, right? I remember one year I had, I think it was Andre Johnson, actually. He got hurt. They said four to six weeks. Whenever I hear the four to six, I always focus on the six. And then you have that gap week. where, Well, should I start him this week or not? Is he going to be in a limited snap count? So that can be kind of lost in the carpet. I ended up trading him for Marcus Colston, which seemed like a, a real big giveaway. But what I ended up getting is a solid year out of Colston, and Johnson was mediocre the rest of the way. I, fading injury optimism had been good for me. Again, this is once guys are already hurt. I'm not talking about the threat of them getting hurt. Do you think that's a good rule of thumb? And, and I, I know you did a podcast on it recently. What was your view on that theory?
1: I cite it often. I, I cite uh, the Pianowski rule often. Um, I think it's a smart rule of thumb. It took me too long, honestly, to come around to it. Um, but it just proves true more often. Every once in a while, Adrian Peterson will come back off a nine-month ACL tear and set the league on fire, but I think that's definitely the exception. I think normally these guys struggle, and especially if they're currently hurt. I mean, Peterson was getting better, Um, and I I think it's right. I mean, I said no to it when Alan Seslowski asked me in the video about Burrow because I don't really care about my QB in the 12th or 13th round getting hurt because I can replace that at least in a one-QB league. But in a 2QB league, I'd be very nervous about Burrow coming off that injury, and I would have to get a discount for that. So I, I think it's almost always correct.
0: Now, not that we want to draft by all these rigid rules of thumbs, but we all have our heuristics that we follow, just the, the kind of things that guide us along. I, are there any fantasy rules of thumb that uh, that seem to follow in the world of Chrysalis?
1: I like the year too early. This is sort of a Dalton Dildon thing, and, sure. I, and I, I've, I think he's been right a lot about these guys. Like, just get Jonathan Taylor you know, over Derrick Henry this year. Even though Derrick Henry's track record's great, he's on, he had 784 carries the last two years, Derrick Henry combined, including the playoffs. And that's 400 a pop. I mean, it's Earl Campbell level. And he's a great player, but um, Taylor's an up and coming young guy and just really air hard on that side, you know? And um, so that's one.
0: So let let me make this clear. Is that more, I want to be early to Taylor breaking out or I want to be early to Henry falling off?
1: Both. I just think it's like, you know, direct, you know, go with the go to where the puck's going, not to where it's been. Right. So, you know, just like Henry's was great, but you're paying for the past. Taylor, you're paying for the future. I think especially in football, you want to pay for a lot of future because, as you said, the window is small and and it doesn't seem, you know, it may seem like it's it's longer than it is. And then it's over really quick and, and, you know, it surprises you sometimes. The other thing is. When I'm drafting, like, I think, like, people want to fill the slots. Like, oh, I got my third receiver. I got my second running back. Oh, I got my, oh, it's cool. I waited. I've got my quarterback. I've got whatever. And they want to have a draft that looks really nice and it's really pleasant to draft during the draft Mm because everything's falling into place. And I think that's total BS. I think your experience drafting doesn't matter. In fact, if you're uncomfortable drafting unconventionally, uh, then you're giving away uh, an edge. Because you're just draft, you have to make your draft a certain way rather than seeing what's coming to you. So if I have to get a quarterback before, maybe you know, would the traditional way to do it would be if I have to get um, three or four receivers before taking it back? I don't necessarily want to sit out and say, "Oh, I, I need to go zero running back," though it's perfectly fine. Um, I just want to not worry about like how my team looks because you know that only four of the guys you drafted, hopefully four or five, are going to be with you all year. If you hit on those four you got to make a lot of moves. you got to make good lineup decisions. And hopefully by the end of the year, you know, you still have those four or five guys in the first eight rounds that are core to your team and, and did what they should have. And you made enough, you know, secondary moves to, to contend.
0: Yeah, the great Ron Chandler would talk about for fantasy baseball. And of course, there's a lot of differences between baseball and football, but he would say draft, get all the value you can at the draft. Don't worry so much if the balance fits. You can trade for balance. You can you know, do pickups for balance, whatever it is. But just try to get, the best possible haul you can. And if it doesn't, I've gotten more and more positionless as I draft. You know, if, if I just, if I feel like I'm collecting talent, if I'm collecting upside, if I'm collecting players who I'm excited to draft, that's another thing too. Take guys, you're. it sounds really silly, right? But take guys you're excited to draft. You know, I, when I can't decide who to pick sometimes, I'll just look at four or five guys. I'm like, well, who's the guy I'm really excited about? Or if I waited on him and he got snapped up again, you know, would, would I be sad about that? Now, I don't think you have to draft all the buzzy, shiny new toys. One of my rules of thumb is I think a lot of times the right thing to do is the eat your vegetables play, which isn't really that much fun, but it, but it's the right thing to do. But draft players who excite you. I This sounds painfully obvious, so or Josh Norris would say, you know, if identify the six or seven offenses you think are great, and keep drafting their main guys, and you know, you'll know, you get a lot of points at the end of the year.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I think with the vegetables point, I think people get confused because they think, oh, this is the highest ADP guy. He's boring, but I'm going to draft him over the guy I want. Maybe I'll get the guy I want next round, and you, the guy you want has gone. And then you're mad. You You know you'd prefer the other one. Don't ever do that. But sometimes, like, you actually think a veteran or a boring guy is going to be good. In which case, when that's the choice, just take him. Just suck it up and take him. And and so, you know, the vegetables pick has to be one that you believe in. Like, I believe in some old, boring guys. i got to figure out who those are off the top of my head. I don't have any. But I do believe in some old, boring guys that I'm like, this guy's just good, and at this round, he's a good value. I mean, it happens, you know, it
0: happens all the time. I don't know if he's boring anymore, but one player, I get to ask him about him because I know you're a Giants fan, and and at one point this guy was somebody who was a big part of your fantasy life. We've seen everything with Odell Beckham. We've seen him be... he At one point, he might have been the signature player of the NFL. And when Sports Illustrated did their top 100 players in NFL history based on not just how good you were, but but how buzzy you were and how much you were part of the culture and everything... They put Beckham on that list. They did not put Randy Moss or Terrell Owens on this list. And I, I like complain about it three or four times a year because I, I just think Randy Moss is the second best receiver in history. And he was buzzy. Even...
1: Andy was like the man. And
0: he was buzzy. Andy, yeah, he did fun things. He did, a North. you know, Terrell Owens pretty much invented like celebrating, you know, as far There's as I'm concerned. There's one player
1: in NFL history that's been on two 15-win teams. That's Randy Moss. I think he's the only one.
0: It's hard for a superstar to be underrated. I actually think Randy Moss is a little bit underrated. But anyway, Beckham, he's been traded Um, Last year, he really didn't click with Mayfield. The offense was better without Beckham. But you could argue, and and I look, I posited that maybe maybe Mayfield, he's relieved of the need to force the ball to Beckham and all that. But maybe he just didn't have time to get comfortable in the Stefanski offense yet. You can get a really nice price on Beckham. You can get a really nice price on Jarvis Landry. I'm just curious, especially Beckham, because we we still, I would think theoretically his upside is still like a a league, I don't want to say league winner, but certainly a needle mover. How are you playing Odell Beckham this year? I
1: think I have him like twenty nine thirty ish, um, and I don't know if that gets him. Probably not. But you know, he's the cheese is going bad. I mean, he really it's going bad. He's
0: a cheese gone bad guy for
1: you. Okay. I mean, no, 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 he's not. He's not. I'm just saying, like, he's
0: not. The cheese is not bad.
1: I'm saying the cheese has gone bad, and and your rule of thumb with the cheese is don't eat it and expect it to be good later. I, I'm saying, if objectively, even though I'm a huge Beckham fan, I love the guy as a Giants fan. Um, I was bummed that we traded him, even though it was a good deal for the Giants. I was still even like bummed because I just like the guy. Um, you know, he is just not what he was, you know, and it's been a long time since he even resembled what he was, but he had that one game where he had three touchdowns, including a rushing touchdown last year where he showed some just of his fitness. Yeah. And, you know, Dallas had an abominable defense, but, um, I, you know, I may have a share just because I like the guy, but, you know, I, you know, the first three years in the league, he was better than Randy Moss. He had bigger numbers than anybody. I don't know better because Moss drew like 10 long uh, pass interference penalties too. But his, his numbers were bigger than Moss's, bigger than Jerry Rice's. This guy was, and this was with Eli Manning in a crappy stadium in not a pass-happy situation, um, not a pass-friendly situation. So I will just have it just in case, you know, he owns the skill. He's only 28 or something. He's not that old. Uh, but the cheese has probably gone bad.
0: Let's talk about, you, you do the projections over at roto I also know you, you do the excellent wide receiver profiles in your magazine. So uh, we'll all look forward to reading those out. Let's look at it, some of the rankings, which I believe are generated from your projections. We, we did talk about Jonathan Taylor a little bit earlier. You have him as the third running back. And to me, that's an inflection point this year, where I think McCaffrey and Cook are going to go one, two in most leagues. And it's like, what do you do at three? I've heard people say Barkley. I've heard people say... Zeke, I've heard people say Henry. Uh, you have Taylor at three right now. So, I, I, safe to say, you have the third pick. That's your guy? Yeah, that's
1: what I'm taking. Yeah. I mean, I don't, there's no receiver I'm going to take. I'm not taking Tyreek Hill at three. I'm not taking Kelsey. I'm not taking a quarterback. I mean, what else are you going to do? You take the third back.
0: It's it, based on just you like the way he finished. You're a big Reich guy. You think Carson Wentz is going to pan out. Just just give us a little, draw, draw in a little more context about why you like Taylor that much.
1: I don't dislike Reich. I sort of dislike Wentz because he was terrible last year. But, that may help because they may run it more they may be run first. The offensive line is very good. Taylor did take over in the second half. He was, you know, seeding carries all sorts of scrubs in the first half. It seemed like he figured out how to run the NFL. He's working on his pass catching. I think he'll catch more passes, although that's partly up to Wentz. And uh, he's just in his second year. He's a massive prospect um, that they were comparing him to Adrian Peterson physically. And he, and he, you know, by the end of the year, I think he kind of panned out as what he was supposed to be. Um, fantasy wise, it took a little longer than people wanted, but um, and this is a guy with low mileage and in the prime of his career in a good situation. I, I just think everybody else, you know, even Cook, Cook had 314 carries in four in 14 games, and he's missed 21 games in four years. I mean, this is not an easy pick. McCaffrey's coming back off a totally lost year after a workload that is not commensurate with his frame, uh, and you got Henry with the 784 carries. You got Barkley off the ACL. You got Zeke, who wasn't very good last year, although they were, you know, obviously Dak was hurt, but. Uh, it's Taylor for me.
0: Yeah, it's just funny how you can easily talk down. These, these are the best running backs. We all know you need, you, you probably need a really good running back at the front of your draft. And I feel like you can talk all of these guys down. One back, I, I tipped my hand earlier. I like the WFT. I was surprised Antonio Gibson was only 14th on your list. Uh, I know there's a toe issue that we're a little bit concerned about. Uh, just tell me why. It seems like you're cool on Gibson.
1: Pianoski hey, rule, man. Okay. I mean, that
0: toe user, he, rolls against he didn't,
1: he didn't have surgery. I'll use it against you. Yeah, he didn't have surgery. Uh, you know, I mean, this is a problem from last year, right? So he's this is an to me. This is the classic pianowski roll, an ongoing injury that hasn't healed. Toe is bad, right? Toe is it's the foundation, and and he's supposed to just sort of what, like, try to get ready through camp with this ailment. I don't know, man. It's the second round. I'll you know give me. Uh, I'll go take you know, I don't know, Justin Jefferson or Stefan Diggs or somebody or you know Calvin Ridley
0: stuffing about you injure your toe, you injure your thumb, and all of a sudden you can't do anything. It's uh, I'm not a world class athlete, but I've learned no, that. Don't firsthand. sell yourself short, Scott. Come on. <laughs> well, we'll see how I do on the golf course during my vacation. But uh, anyway, quarterback. We I always feel like quarterback is is the least interesting fantasy position because there's just so many good ones you can really make it work at almost any price point. But then again, the success of quarterbacks has so much trickle down effect to all the other positions wind up doing. I thought it was interesting that Justin Herbert right now is fifth on the wire sheet and Lamar Jackson is seventh. So if you get nothing from that other than this, it's going to be don't draft Lamar Jackson. Uh, explain that.
1: I could be wrong about that because Jackson's upside is obviously, you know, we saw it and we saw he was one, had one of the greatest quarterback seasons of all time fantasy wise. Um, if not the greatest of all time fantasy. I think it was actually, but I felt like he got a little bit solved last year and it's not like, it didn't get better. You know, it, it didn't really, he didn't, un, he didn't like make that counter adjustment. You know, sometimes a guy gets solved in a sport and then he does something else. And then it starts to work again. I didn't see it. They did, you know, get Rashad Bateman. Um, they did get Sammy Watkins for whatever that's worth. Um, Dobbins should be a better pass catcher get more, you know, uh, if there's
0: ever been a cheese gone bad guy, it's Sammy Watkins. That cheese is like already been thrown out. Yeah.
1: Some like, uh, Roquefort or something, you know, but the point is that, uh, that, um, actually I like rug for it, but it's, it's very moldy. Uh, But the, but the point is that I can see it, but I don't know. I, I could, you know, I, and that's not a big, and you know, those guys, probably if I moved them up 10 yards, it would, fl- it would flop. I think Herbert um, just uh, with a, you know, with better coaching and and just look like he reminded me kind of Dan Marino, which is weird. Just that, like that, just slinging it. And just he had like 35 touchdowns and had a couple of rushing touchdowns and 14, 15 games. I don't know. He's, so, but, but as, yeah, I, I mean, Jackson is a home run pick, right? I mean, if he, if he even splits the difference between the two seasons, um, you're going to get great value where you draft him.
0: I don't want to spend too much time on this, but uh, Devontae Adams at seven. What do you got there? It's just
1: Rogers, right? I mean, if Rogers leaves, I have, I don't have, I have Devontae Adams at like 15, right? But if Rogers stays, I have Devontae Adams at one. And you know, you're talking about, I'm always an upside guy. So I'm like, okay, don't go with the 50th percentile, go with the 70th percentile because, but not in round one or round two. So in round two, I think you got to go with the 40, 50th percentile outcome, which there's a, you know, if you look at DraftKings, it's like minus 125. The the odds are minus one twenty five that he stays on the Packers. Okay, it's a favorite to stay on the Packers, but he's not a huge favorite. So if we just take that as, you know, let's say there's a 60% chance he stays on the Packers or 55 or whatever. I mean, you're taking a hell of a risk with Jordan Love there.
0: Does that spill over to, are you worried? Of, would you not draft Aaron Jones? Would you not draft Tunyon? I mean, how do you play the rest of the Packers offense?
1: Tunyon is off my board. Tunyon, had 11 touchdowns on like 70 targets. It was just like, a, even with Roger, I mean, Rogers does throw a ton in the red zone. So if anybody could do it again, it, it's Rogers. But it was already one of those uh, Mike Clay regression things sure. where it's like, obviously he's going to regress. And then with like a 30, 40% chance he loses Rodgers. Uh, I can't, you know, I didn't put him in my top 20 in the, uh, in the fantasy index, They're like, no Tunyon? I'm like, nope. So um, I'm out.
0: We're uh, wrapping up our time with Chris Liss, uh, again, a a pillar of the industry and does excellent work at Rotowire. And and do listen to both his XM show with Jeff Erickson and the podcast he does with with Dalton Del Don, are great programs. And speaking of Dalton Del Don, he's a big San Francisco guy. I was surprised to see Debo Samuel as your wide receiver 16. And it's not that I don't love Debo because I do. But I'm not sure he's better than Ayuk. They obviously have Kittle, and they have uncertainty at quarterback, whether it's going to be a. I think I think Jimmy Garoppolo has been the most overrated player in the NFL for a couple of years. Not that he's bad, but people were talking about him as like sleeper MVP candidate. I don't I don't see that. And Trey Lance, you know, he comes in the league at 21. I don't know how quickly. They'll take the training wheels off him if he starts. I think ideally the Niners just want to run the ball down everybody's throat with a, with a bunch of good running backs. Now, it sounds like they have some injury issues at the offensive line. Maybe that could change that. I think Debo's one of these guys on the right team. I think he could be a top-five receiver. I just don't think right now the Niners, although they will scheme up some fun stuff for him, but I don't, don't see how the volume's going to be good enough for him to justify that spot.
1: I thought he got a lot of volume late last year when he came back. Now, I know Kittle was out for the rest of the year. Um, Ayuk was in and out also, but Debo got a lot of volume in that, in like a few game stretch where he was healthy and, you know, it was year two. So, you know, we only saw really year one where he was healthy all year and he was good. He had a good rookie season. Year two is where they take the leap and it looked like, oh, this is our go-to guy when he was in the game. And also he has a really low depth of target, which usually isn't a good thing, but it doesn't matter who's quarterback. This is easy stuff. You know, they scheme him for a, you know, a three yard catch and he runs 15 yards and hits the defender like a running back. He's a very physical guy. Maybe 16s early, um, but I think you know between 16 and 22 is probably again. If I move a guy up 10 yards, it'll move him up four spots. They're very tight in there. Um, I'm not like got to have Debo on my team, but it, it's funny that I actually moved him up based on what I saw on the few games where he's healthy. They're like, oh, they're just giving him the ball like every you know as much as they can.
0: Just because I mentioned the Niners, I'm curious. I, I didn't notice where you guys had these these players ranked, but. I feel like there's going to be one really good fantasy running back on that team, and I'm not really sure who it's going to be. How are you playing their backfield?
1: I think I moved Sermon up to like 29, and I was like, ask Dalton, because he knows the team better than I do. And I said, what, sure. what are you doing with him? He's like, 24. I'm like, okay. I was worried that I had him too high, and now I'm not worried anymore. So I'm 29. I have Mostert like 32 or 33, not too far behind him. I think Mostert will obviously start if he's healthy. I just don't know. I think Sermon has the upside to be like a top five back, like if things click. Um, he has no guarantee of even being a top 40 back, but he has the upside of being a top five back. I don't think Mostert has top five upside because I just don't think he's going to get 240 carries. So um, that's why I have Sermon ahead of him, even though I think Mostert will start, you know, week one. And and Jeff Wilson going down really, I think, pushed up Sermon. Uh, I I will have some Sermon. We'll see. Well, we'll see how aggressively he gets pushed up as we get close to draft season. But um, I agree with you, Scott. I think there's a a chance. And I think he's the guy, um, if it happens, that, you know, He's a huge difference maker.
0: You know, even though look, we're in the industry, we're supposed to know all 32 teams, and and we track them as best we can. We rewatch games, we 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 grind the stats. But I love that idea that you talked about getting Dalton's take on the Niners because you know he follows them really closely. Uh, one of, one of my friends, uh, Donovan Rogier, who, who's been a longtime Breakfast table supporter he he watches like every everything the Niners do you know if they were to play preseason games he'd watch every snap of them and he'll give me little nuggets where I can ask him, or I'll go to Scott Jenstad when I need an Oakland A's opinion because I know he's got the game on every night I I, my my friend Chris Morgan's a big Giants fan uh, San Francisco Giants fan and he told me last year when they had the archway difference you know he's the one who told me look the ball is flying out of this park this year it's totally different With that in mind, you're a big Giants guy. Uh, I'll mention really quickly that you have Gronkowski at 9 and Higby at 10. I really like both of those guys, but we don't need to go into that. But I think they're both good targets at the tight end position. You have Evan Ingram basically off your board. You have him at tight end 23. I just drafted him in the best ball league, and I did it very reluctantly. And and now that I see that you have him at 23, I'm going to petition this league and see if I can cut Evan Ingram before the season begins uh, why uh, Why the long face on Ingram?
1: I might be unduly spiteful because uh, he just made so many drops at the worst times. I mean, they'd be like, you know, they'd be coming back and it'd be like third and eight and it'd be a perfect throw and he'd just drop it and they'd lose the game. I mean, he cost them like two or three games it seemed like. And, you know, he used to be injured all the time. The one year he stays healthy, he's just completely the least clutch player I've ever seen. Um, the guy runs a 4-4 and he's like six 240. You'd um, think, you know, he's like Chase Claypool. You'd think he's one of the freaks of the league. Uh, and he's just, you know, he's had some numbers, like cosmetically decent numbers. So he'll make a big play or a great play now and then. I just think, you know, it's, it's, it's the opposite of like, you know, like I, I always didn't like the Keenan Allen, Michael Thomas types. I always thought I wanted a Tyreek Hill, Pete Odell Beckham, but some guys are good football players, right? They're just football players. They're not that athletic. They're not freaks of nature. They're just humans who really know their craft, right? Mm-hmm. And I think Ingram is the opposite of that. He's like somebody who's just, his focus isn't good. He's not consistent. You know, I just think some people are just not as good at football. Um, and the physical skills help, obviously. If you're, it, The ideal is like you're great at football and you're a physical freak. But sometimes these guys are just got by in their physicality. And then like at the high level, like they're just not great football players. And it's like year four or five. It's not like, oh, well, he's a second year guy. So I'm out. Um, they also have a lot of mouths to feed in the offense. The offense could be okay, but it also could be terrible. The line is a work in progress. Daniel Dimes is a work in progress. Their backup's Mike Glennon, so it's Danny Dimes or bust. Yeah, there's just a lot of good tight ends. I mean, like Gerald Everett on the Seahawks is interesting. There's just, there's just so many guys that I would rather, you know, just gamble on than just take Evan Ingram. I, I don't know. I could be wrong. He's a, he's a freak athlete, but not interesting.
0: No, I, I like the aggressive rank on him. When you talk about players who are just good at football, I always felt Doug Baldwin was like that. He was a longtime favorite of mine. And I mentioned this the last time I think we talked on the on your XM show. When I saw that Terry McLaurin was working with Doug Baldwin, I, I just like swooned immediately. And I'm like, OK, I generally am more of an agnostic value drafter. But I'm like, OK, I'm going to start elbowing people out of the way. I have to have Terry McLaurin. He's going to I just started dreaming of like a 14, 20 and and, and 12 touchdown season with him and Fitzpatrick with, if he can pick up any of that, because Baldwin was such a great route runner. He just breaks ankles. You couldn't press him at the line of scrimmage because he would just turn you, he turn you into a pretzel. You know, I, I don't know. I, something about those two guys working together that really got me excited.
1: Yeah. add like 20 pounds to Baldwin and, you know, a couple inches in height and more speed uh, and he could be a monster. You're going to really have to do, do some serious elbowing because I think McLaurin's yes. going to get up to like receiver seven. I think he'll probably go ahead of AJ Brown before long. Yep. I think if Rogers leaves, he'll go ahead to Adams or maybe not. I think he should go ahead of Adams if Rogers leaves, but um, I think it's going to be expensive.
0: When I say elbowing, I just really quick, cause we're just about out of time. Are you more of a get your guys drafter or more of a, w- what was the value? Let's take what the room gives me drafter. Okay. You know,
1: I, I baseball, I got all my guys in the main event. I'm in last place. It's been a disaster, but I don't regret it. I got my guys. I still believe in the team. Obviously, reality is is intruding on my uh, belief system pretty harshly right now. But I just I would do it again. I would just you know hopefully get different like different guys after learning what happened.
0: No, I respect the conviction. Again, Chrysalis, one of the just greatest people to talk to in the fantasy industry. He's got a point of view. He's got a distinctive take on things, distinctive style, and and I highly recommend you check out his other work. You can find him on Twitter. Chris underscore lists. Uh, Chris, what else are you working on these days?
1: Not much. Just finishing up magazine stuff, you know, where it's going out on Friday, um, just finalizing rankings and everything else. But um, that's it. Who's on the cover
0: so we can find it easily.
1: I think, uh, you know, it's funny. Thorberry's the editor in chief now. And I think we have. You put
0: Jason Thorberry on the cover. Nice. I like that. Yeah,
1: yeah, he's very handsome now. Uh, He's a, Got a new haircut and everything. Um, no, uh, we got, I think it's Christian McCaffrey. I think he picked McCaffrey. I was trying to go for Danny Dimes, but he didn't do it. So uh, I think McCaffrey's on our cover.
0: Good stuff. Good stuff. So uh, be, be on the lookout for that. And you know, look, I, I guarantee you, I, I used to work with you guys. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a little bit biased because I'm friends with all of you. But there's a free trial you can get at Roto-Wire. I, I don't believe any credit card is required. You know, check these guys out You know, for the week or whatever it is they give you. And I, I think you'll like what you see over there. Tremendous! It's just going to save you a lot of time. There's a, all sorts of stuff to cover. You guys are doing a bunch of stuff in the gaming space. You guys cover college sports. You guys cover soccer. You obviously cover all the main fantasy sports like like baseball and, and football. You cover that stuff A to Z. The starting pitcher grid, I think, is the best in the industry. I, look, there's a lot of good fantasy sites. We all know that. But I really think what Rotowire charges for an unbelievable resource is outstanding. So if, if you're not familiar with their work, you, you can get free trial and I highly recommend that. And if you like podcasts, uh, we do a lot of that over at Yahoo, uh, the uh, college Yahoo Sports College podcast with Wetzel Thamel and our old friend Pat Forty over at Sports Illustrated. Those guys are always doing a great job with their three-man weave. And look, NBA playoffs are going on. Posted Up with Chris Haynes is one of the best shows out there. He's got the knuckleheads, Quentin Richardson and Darius Miles on the pod this week. You'll want to check that out. Again, Chris is on Twitter. Chris underscore lists. I am Scott underscore Pianowski. And if you want to follow us on Twitter, it's Yahoo fantasy. Get you over there for Chris, for our producer, Brett Rader, keeping us on the air and sounding good. I am Scott. We will be back next week with, or I guess Thursday with with a great guest. I don't know who's hosting. I don't know who's guesting. I'm off the clock. We will talk to you soon. Look around.